Hello, everyone. Hello. My name is Matt Armando. And I'm Emily Riggins. And this is TBD. With Matt Emily. Hi, everyone. Uh, hey, guys. How are you? Welcome to another week of TBD. This is another week with us, I think, somewhere in the 70s. 76. Emily, you want to tell, tell the people at home <laughs> what they've won by downloading this podcast? What you have won by downloading this podcast is just a fun hangout with your good friends, Matt and Emily. We're going to drink tea. And we're going to talk about that tea. Mm-hmm. And we have a guest, spoiler alert, and that guest is going to bring a topic. But you know what, Matt? And listeners at home, mm-hmm. your gift is that we don't know what that topic is. Emily, Emily and I have no idea what our guest is going to talk to us about. Isn't that fun? Yeah. In fact, we send an email that says, very specifically, please do not tell us. Do not tell us the topic. Because <laughs> people have, ahead of time. Twice, as far as I'm concerned. Um, maybe three. I like to guess when I can. I don't guess, but I know two people I know told me <laughs> straight up, hey, I'm going to come on. I'm going to talk about this thing. Actually, one of them changed their topic because they knew they ruined it. I won't put them on blast. I'll ask who that is later. <laughs> um, I think he said it on the podcast, actually. Um, but uh, hey, let us not dilly-dally any further. No. Speaking of guests that follow the rules, welcome to the podcast stage, comedian and actress Teffa Higgins. Crowd noises. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Uh, I'm a rule follower. No, I'm not. I can't read instructions <laughs> to save my life. You read this one instruction and you followed it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the one. I pick one rule and mm-hmm. I take it to heart. Yeah, one rule at a time. And then when you break that rule, you switch to a new rule to follow until you break that rule. Right. <laughs> like nine times out of ten, I'm not wearing my glasses, so I didn't read them correctly <laughs> anyway. <laughs> you should wear your glasses at all times. No, I know. I can't see. <laughs> Are you... It's becoming a problem. So you're not wearing glasses right now. I'm not. Are you wearing contacts or no? no? So you are blind or how blind i can kind of see i can see how many fingers am i holding up you four but it takes a minute because they're um, a little they're a little now fuzzy. how many fingers no doing the rock hand oh, is yeah. that is it is it this I'm, way if you turn it around does it um, mean something else i think it's the same way either way okay uh because one way it's rock you are rocking to yourself mm-hmm. and the other way you're rocking to other people okay as a person who rocks only to themselves, <laughs> I knew that. Exactly. There you go. I'm glad you knew. No, I can see um, like things and outlines of things pretty well. Mm-hmm. I can't read things. Okay. Like the, like the stuff behind you, I can't. I don't know what it says. If you were to go to the movies, would you wear glasses? And if you didn't, would you not be able to see what was going on? I have frequently gone to the movies and not worn glasses. And I actually get motion sickness because mm. it's that bad. <laughs> can't see why don't you i love my glasses i just have never until very recently didn't really need them okay like i could they would help kind of clarify things but Mm -hmm. i didn't actually need them to Mm -hmm. see and so it's more just habitual than anything else and like when i wear them places i'll walk in a room and take them off like they're sunglasses Mm -hmm. and then i'll be like why can't i see anything you know i just like don't my face isn't used to having them on yet Mm. (sighs) when did you find out you needed or how long have you been wearing glasses for i have had glasses since i was in like fifth grade but i again didn't really need them until probably about two years ago got it i i didn't i still i mean i have like the same prescription i've always had but uh basically and um but 
when I first was wearing glasses, they were like, you don't really need them all the time. And so like I would carry them in my pocket and I had like a, like a, I would carry my case for my glasses in my pocket and like take them off or put them on depending on if I was driving a car or going to the movies or something. And at some point I was like, why am I still like, why am I spending like half my life seeing like not everything? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) It was such a weird thing that they told me I didn't need them all the time. Cause now that I do wear them all the time, I'm like, I wear contacts, but, uh, I just can't even imagine a life where I'm like, everything's blurry most of the time. (laughs) Well, uh, I think, especially when you're young, I don't know this to be true, I might be making this up, but I think when you're young, you're if you wear them too much, your eyes will like overcompensate and make your vision worse. So you're like only yeah. supposed to wear them when you like actually, so like I basically only needed them if I was like in class and I was in the very back, I couldn't read the board. Mm-hmm. But if I was in like the front or even the middle of the classroom, I could totally see it Yeah. until very recently. <laughs> no, I cannot. I've worn glasses every day since I was in third or fourth grade, except for the brief three days in junior year of high school, and I tried contacts. Oh, <laughs> you weren't into them. Um, no, I can't touch my eyes. I can't, I can't well. either. Both. <laughs> I can't either. No. Uh, I touch my eyes once a day. That's disgusting. No, twice a day. You should see me having to get pinned down to get like when when I need eye drops. Oh, it's a nightmare. Ninety nine percent of it just goes all over my face and not. I did when my eyeballs. I when I got like because when you get contacts, um, you get like you know sides for them differently than glasses. Like you have to get mm-hmm. a s- separate prescription. And so I was, I was like, oh, I do want contacts. And actually, even contacts were something I wasn't wearing every day. My my life was so weird. I would get like, uh, two. The contacts are supposed to last two weeks, but uh, I, my even the optometrist was like, they'll last you a month because you're not going to wear them every day. And man, what a weird time to look back on. <laughs> same um, optometrist that was just like you don't really need glasses but i keep prescribing no them. this is a different this actually was a different person weird um uh yeah actually i've, I've been to a bunch of different optometrists over the years huh. but um when i was getting fitted for the uh contacts or uh i think i went to like a lens crafters or something even for that but the um the person who was trying to help me put them in, I like kept closing my eye. Like I had a really hard time putting them in because like <laughs> I would just blink really um, fast and with yeah. like a lot of strength. And the person even told me who, you know, their job is to get people into contact lenses was right. like, boy, <laughs> good luck with these. <laughs> uh, and like commented on how strong my eyelids appeared to be. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, so yeah, I started, it was a rough, it was rough at first, but now I'm, I'm better. <laughs> Yeah, I may need to get in that game. I don't, I just need, or wear my glasses. I don't know. I Live your truth. Yeah. And if that truth is not being just able to being see blind. half the time, yeah, do it. Do you? I'll be like driving. I was with my sister, I was driving, and I was like, you know, it's real hard for me to see at dusk. <laughs> it's like dusk. She's like, where are your glasses? I was like, I'm not sure. <laughs> where are your glasses right now? Yeah. No, at like this I'm very asking, moment, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, they're actually in my backpack. Okay, mm-hmm. so you could be seeing right now. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not. Gonna. I'm not judging you. We I cannot Even though that sounded like I was, but I'm not. <laughs> you can. I mean it's okay. it. I mean it when I say it. I'm not judging anyone right now. <laughs> I cannot imagine driving without my glasses. Well, so here's the thing: is I I need to be clear about this. I can see. I can see if cars are in front of me. <laughs> I can see if they're braking. I just can't necessarily read the speed limit or the signs. You know I, what I mean? You and I probably have pretty similar vision because I I can also drive without my glasses. Oh my uh, but they say like... At, I shouldn't. My optometrist was like, <laughs> at night, 
at night drive with glasses, but during the day you don't really need to. What, what is this? What is this? Well, it is it's harder. A, it's at an night. astigmatism, yeah. I do well, I do have that in one eye. Okay, yeah. So that's what I have, and that is apparently it has to do with like the like the muscles in your eyes, and the the more tired you are, the weaker they get. And so for some like throughout the day, it, and it's it's more of a strain on your eye, I guess, to see. And low light conditions or something. So does it work as well? I don't. I'm making science up. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I was always under the impression it was a curvature thing, but it could be a weak. It could be a muscle thing. Uh, But my contacts actually don't um, correct for my astigmatism. My astig. I forget what it is. Starts with an A, doesn't it? Uh, My my contacts actually do not correct for that. Um, My glasses correct for it, but my. Uh, context do not fun fact i did not research this topic so i'm probably wrong <laughs> and you're probably right because um, you actually wear your contacts i just i just know that like if i i could get like when i got contacts originally they didn't have ones that fit astigmatism and that low of strength mm. <laughs> but now they do but i would have to pay like extra money to get refitted mm-hmm. and i don't want to pay that extra money nah. and it also doesn't bother me like uh, I can see slightly better out of glasses than contacts, but not enough. That's like such a subtle difference that it doesn't bother me. Um, I, well, one without my glasses, I see double. That's a fun fact about me. That's crazy. My eyes don't work together. There's Why a name for it. Why don't you want to see more? Like you could see the world times two. Yeah. No. Would you? Th- I would throw up. Um, I have such bad motions. I well, some of my earliest memories are being able to see double. So I've like always done it. It's like a thing. You can yeah. take classes to train your eyes to see. Huh. together and i've never done it um i'm sure it's like a um like a focus thing yeah like if you focus really hard on just actually only using one because i uh was fun fact i was in a like a shooting club I used to go shooting a lot when With i like lived guns. in yeah in north florida <laughs> fun mm-hmm. things that they do there um and we we they like kept trying to train us to keep both of your eyes open because it's like a you can see more of what's going on around you or whatever. I don't, I don't fucking remember, but like it, it's super hard. Cause you like naturally close one eye to be able to align your sights up. And yeah. they like trained us to do it with both eyes open, but it was super fucking hard. Interesting. And I don't think I ever did it well. I actually have really good aim when I squint with one eye, but now I'm wondering if I should be practicing with two eyes open and we're talking video it's game harder. guns, not real yeah. guns. <laughs> it's harder. Um, it's harder. Another thing about me mm-hmm. in my glasses is that I have a pair of prescription sunglasses and sometimes I will switch into them when I'm driving. Yeah. And it's terrifying because I'm like, oh, for like two seconds, I'm not going to have my glasses on. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Do you ever sneeze when you're driving and it's think terrifying. like, I'm going to die? <laughs> I hate to sneeze and drive. Sneeze. No way to do that well. So vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole time driving, I hate. I hate to drive. Yeah. Do you, I Sorry. love it. And it's one of the things I miss the most about living in this. I don't. I love living in New York. And I love the ease of access of just popping in and off the subway. But I genuinely miss driving. That's one of my favorite things to do. Hmm. I have driven enough in my life. You're like, I'm good. I don't need any more. Now when I do drive, I don't I don't mind driving, um, even long distances, but all the joy has been sucked out of it. Oh, I love distance driving. <laughs> and I, I love doing it by myself. Like I mm. want the music turned up all the way. I want to sing Whitney at the top of my lungs and just fucking drive I think for if, hours i think if i still had like my own car it'd be more interesting i like now i only drive either my dad's car or rental cars and i don't know there's just something less fun when it's like not your car you're more concerned know. about crashing it uh it's not even that it's just 
it, like when you own your own like cause i used to own a car mm-hmm. I, I bought an i bought a brand new car at one point in my life which wow. that's such a fun feeling to have a brand new car yeah, i've never known that oh it was so good <laughs> but it feels uh and actually i had it in new york for a little bit but i don't have it anymore um but it like felt it it was almost this thing where like i knew my apartment was rented but my car i owned so it was like this extra feeling of and i've sure. never i've actually never lived in a place that i owned so i've either lived in my parents house in dorms or in apartments uh but you sit in your car and you're like this is my car <laughs> I own this. I own every inch of this. I can put something in the back seat. I can spill something and I'll be mad at myself, but no one else can get mad at me because it's my car. If I get kicked out of my apartment. I have somewhere I can live. I can live in my car. <laughs> I, it, it is, um, it was its own relief. And also I had a very, I'm a very neat person. So I also, my car was very like, it had the new car smell for like uh, the entire time I owned it basically. Cause I, uh, I just, uh, I'm a neat guy. <laughs> And it just was a little, my little temple. But now that I'm driving other people's cars, I'm like, ah, I don't, this doesn't feel as good. Yeah. I've always hated driving. Like the learning to drive process was a nightmare for me. Like I went into it in a negative place and I'm still at a negative place. I you, hate to drive. Do you ever own your own oh, yeah. car? Um, I mean, no. <laughs> my, the one in health. <laughs> my, uh, so my grandpa taught me to drive and he was a race car driver And so, and honestly, so you're just constantly making left turns. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and no, I, I genuinely thought one, he always liked to lecture you about everything. So I was like, "Ugh, this is going to be the worst, but he was actually so patient and like, so good with me in the way that I was just like, it was unexpected. Not that he was always like angry and whatever but he just was kind of intense and lectured you about everything and I was like this is going to be terrible and it's just going to be us yelling at each other and he was so patient and like eased me into everything didn't care if I was going 10 like and just would like talk me through every single step and I was like damn like this was actually a really wonderful experience you know what I mean yeah so I appreciated it a lot yeah it's one of my fondest memories with him yeah I mean I'm just jaded now. Learning learning to drive was fun. <laughs> and being able to drive like like in high school and whatever, like being the kid who can drive is like so cool. <laughs> I I loved it back then. I now well, I'm, and I'm from such a rural area that like if you didn't drive you didn't have a way to get around. And so it yeah. was such a freedom thing. Like Ugh. you couldn't go anywhere. It wasn't like someone was gonna come pick you up. Like you didn't you yeah. were stuck if you didn't drive. Um, yeah. And then later we got to do more fun stuff. I did this, um, it's called, I don't know if it still exists. It was called driver's edge and you were, it was for like teenagers and you could like, but it was this very cool program and you basically, I, it was all this safety driving stuff. I don't remember much of that, but I do remember they let us take these like cars out in these gravel lots and like spin them out and then like get out of the spin basically and then have to go through like a course why are they teaching teenagers how to do this because if it happens to you you have to know how to like control the car you know what i mean so if you've never had it happen before you don't know how to like react and excuse me a lot of what people think is like they tell you like you know turn opposite of the spin or whatever like but basically what they told us was they were like 
keep steering the car in the direction you want to go in because as soon as you gain traction, that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. Don't be like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then when I gain traction, I'm going to do it. Like you don't have that much time. Like whenever it finally gains traction, it's going in that direction. So mm-hmm. just, and like the other thing too is like face where you want to go because that's naturally where you're going to steer it. So if you like are looking at that concrete wall next to you, that's what you're going to hit. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. when you gain traction. So like look at the road and aim for that as best you can. And it actually was very helpful. <laughs> I, uh, my driving school actually had a pretty similar thing where like <laughs> you did like all the driving lessons and like, that was just like, I think like required by law and I'm from Massachusetts. You have to do a certain amount of hours and of classroom time and like practice driving time or whatever. But then after you do all that, and I think it's even after you've gotten your license, <laughs> They take you to this parking lot where what they do is they just like pump a ton of water onto this uh, track. So then they like make you hydroplane on it. And like you're doing, you're like driving through this. It's like driving through a little river. (laughs) But it was like the same kind of thing, like getting traction and like figuring out where, what, what was going on. And this is like not part, like for some reason, the school offered this like additional thing. Yeah. And it wasn't required. I don't know why they even offered it. Like you'd think, like I didn't pay extra for it. It was just like a thing. Uh, But they were like the most popular place to get your driver's license in my hometown anyways. So they didn't really need like extra stuff, but it was still a thing you did anyway. it sounds fun. Um, And it is fun. Yeah. This is wild. My driver's ed school did not do this. (laughs) Um, As I said, I hated all, all of it. So I wouldn't have wanted to do it. But that's all. Your well, driver's so this ed. This was not driver's place. ed. This was like a because my driver's ed. Driver's flat edge. edge. <laughs> Sorry, it was like a separate thing we signed. Up. It was had something to do with the race car stuff. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so because I don't, I don't know if it. I don't remember how any of that came about. My grandpa did used to teach like when people first started driving like race cars he like taught them and mm-hmm. did that kind of stuff so i was like oh i guess he was good at this like i didn't <laughs> know um but i don't know if that was related to any uh, whatever um but my actual driver's ed class the was taught by our high school football coach because they have to like teach something to work there and <laughs> he was afraid to get in the car with us so he just let us all get in the car by ourselves and we just drove oh around the God. school parking lot and then my friend and i would break for each other because you know how in the student cars they have the <laughs> Oh. So one of us would steer and the other one would break. That's it like was a, that a sounds shit like a... show. You should not allow 15-year-olds in a car to no, do whatever they want. That football coach needs to be fired. That's, that, is not, sure. that is not good. It sounds like some video game shit, too. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go. Let us move on to right. tea talk. We had quite a optometry, driver's ed, everything. We touched all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Driving talk done? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And tea talk, tea talk, tea talk, tea talk we're talking tea today um it's something new i've added i like it um i know you've done it you've done it a few times today we are drinking jasmine creme brulee by david's tea (laughs) how do you feel about that i feel pretty bad about it um (laughs) it's did you say it's a green tea i didn't i didn't say anything else um this is a green tea and it's from the fall faves box that we've had multiple teas from uh do you guys want to hear the description of this tea yeah, you can say the title again because I feel like I, I said it in a way where I was just trying to bug you. <laughs> it might not have been as informative. Um, this is the ja- David's Tea Jasmine Creme Brulee Green Tea. And are you ready? Mm-hmm. Rich? Oh, 
rich <laughs> and creamy. See, I can barely read this. Rich, rich and creamy with a delicate jasmine twist. This sweet blend is downright addictive. Wow. It is. Can I say that? It's good. Yeah. Yeah. You can say it. It tasted more creme brulee than I expected. Because you know how like sometimes when you get, you know, I may be thinking of coffees. I don't know. But you'll get like flavored stuff and you like try it and you're like, it just kind of tastes like coffee. You know what I mean? It doesn't taste any different. I think you're, I think you're, I think you're right. I think usually teas aren't this predominantly the flavor they say they are. Right. Like sometimes there's like a little hint. You're like, oh, I see why that inspired the name. But this was like, oh no, it actually tastes like candy. (laughs) I'm drinking a creme brulee. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty Um, good. I don't know if I've ever had, I feel like I've had a creme brulee. I just can't picture it. Like, is that the one that they set on fire? Like, like they they burn the top with the fire thing. Yeah, this is so. There, yes, this is this does not <laughs> get set part. on fire, but it gets like torched. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they melt the sugar, and then you have like sort of fire. like a, a caramelized crust on the top. Mm-hmm. Shit's good. I've had it. It is good. Um, I have at home a black tea that's creme brulee flavored, uh-huh. and this one's much better. Did we ones? have that on the podcast? I don't think so. I feel like I've had another creme brulee tea in, in my life. <laughs> it's, it's very potent. Yeah. In a way I did not expect, for, especially for a green tea and for how light it is. Yeah, I'm not really t- tasted, like, as far as, like, green tea flavors are, it's mostly just the creme brulee flavor. Yeah. <laughs> it's very overpowering. I'm into it, though. Do you guys taste jasmine at all? Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe. I can see how it's involved. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, the creme brulee is so... There's so it's so there that I suppose I there might be other flavors in here, but it's like There's a hint so of jasmine for sure. Jerry's flying around, punching in the face. Jerry's the fly we named in the uh, podcast studio. <laughs> um, yep, I'm gonna read the ingredients. He's having a grand old time. So there's apple, jasmine tea, it's apple, rosehip shell, pineapple, in parentheses pineapple sugar, mm. sweet blackberry leaves. Marigold flowers, natural and artificial flavoring, kosher. I'm looking at the tea. Got it in my hands. And I definitely see everything you mentioned. Even there's a little pineapple cube in here, little apple chunks. There's a little. uh, I wouldn't think from that description it would taste like this. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That pineapple must really be doing something weird to it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't surprise ingredient. I don't know what's supposed to be in a creme brulee. But I feel like none of the ingredients that I picture being in a creme brulee are in. Did they say jasmine was in it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I was like, I swear I do taste it. Would you like to see it? <laughs> sure. I'm going to toss it to you. It? Yeah. Toss it. Oh, my God. I caught it. <laughs> um, Genuinely surprised when that happens. Uh, which one's this one? Where is this? Oh, it's jasmine a- creme brulee. Yeah. Green tea. Oh. Hmm. What does it smell like? I feel like it. it smells more rosy. Like mm-hmm. it smells, you can smell more of like the rose. Yeah. I don't get a rose flavor at all in the tea. Mm-mm. There's a lot of um, that rose uh, in there though. That's all the, um, I think that's all like the reddish, basically hard, hard looking things. <laughs> They're thrown around the tea. Like you wouldn't believe. Go to the outfield, bro. <laughs> I got it. Uh, I'm going to hit a dinger. <laughs> Number one ingredient is apple. I do. There does seem to be a lot of apple chunks hmm. and pineapple. Um, Tefa, why Matt's looking at the box? I have a question. Should for I you. look at the box sure. again? What is your yeah, re- go back to that? <laughs> what is your relationship to tea? My relationship to tea, I would say, is a complicated one. Um, 
that's not true. It's actually <laughs> it's very wholesome and sweet. I uh, so my grandmother, her family was very British. She grew up in Panama, um, but her, it, the, you know how the British are. They're very proud of being British and like to hold their customs. So her mother, who was British, um, kind of raised my grandmother very British, but in Panama, which mm-hmm. is funny. Uh, so. She, my whole life, um, I grew up pretty much, you know, with my grandma or staying at her house every day and she picked me up from school every day. Like we were very close and I stayed with her for summers and whatever. Um, so every day we would have tea in the afternoons. It was like standard. It's high tea. It's quite a trickle you have going on there. Everyone had a, <laughs> I spilled some, everyone had to look at me pouring myself some more tea. It was very loud. This never happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because we were looking that you spilled everywhere i know i know uh but yeah so um yeah it, it became a very it's a tradition mm-hmm. we always have tea and so now whenever i go see my grandma we have tea we have tea over the weekend Aww. it's at her house um but she doesn't love the flavored teas mm-hmm. it's never really been something we're into so it's always uh like an english breakfast mm-hmm. or like an orange pico or some sort of black tea like a very yes. you know yeah the British, and then with milk and sugar. Yeah, I think that's pretty frequent for Emily and I. Generally, yeah. we have these teas. It's the go-to. We try. Yeah. We drink a different tea every week, so at some point, you're drinking every every flavor yeah. and every <laughs> nonsense tea. A year ago, I would not have ever had a jasmine creme brulee tea, Mm-mm. and now I've had seventy six different types of tea. That's insane that there's that many different types of tea. And many, oh, like that's crazy to me. So many more. There's so many more. <laughs> I mean, sometimes we have, I guess, like it's overwhelming. I mean, in some cases, I mean, we're having similar teas, like maybe like a different company makes uh, like the same tea we've already had, but we're having it by so and so instead, or just like some little flavor difference or something like that. Because mm-hmm. um, we've had a lot of, I think we've had like a couple like cinnamon teas, and that's like they're very close to each other, but yeah. not the exact same. But yes, there are so many teas. <laughs> um, in your day-to-day life, mm-hmm. are you drinking coffee or are you drinking tea? I'm a coffee drinker, okay. for sure. Uh, I have been doing more chais lately because mm-hmm. I casually just got really stressed and gave myself an ulcer and I couldn't do coffee for a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was having to kind of back. I just like eased back in by doing chai teas. Are so. we talking chai tea lattes? or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. With almond milk. Wow. Because I, I really can't do that much dairy. My stomach doesn't like it. But in tea, nothing else is as good as milk. I agree. It just nothing else can <laughs> do it. You got to have some, some regular milk when you in pour, your tea. When you pour it in there. So I have like, I have coconut milk in my, uh, or coconut beverage, as Trader Joe's calls it. Um, and it just like, when you pour it into... Uh, tea it doesn't do that fun thing where it just sort of like balloon you know yeah. be- whatever that thing when it makes a cloud yeah <laughs> doesn't do that it just sinks to the bottom <laughs> my my grandmother always called it money in your cup when you get the little um bubbles mm. on the top when it's really hot and you put mm-hmm. milk in you get those little bubbles um yeah apparently it's good luck wow mm-hmm. well, i gotta stop using coconut beverage <laughs> I'll have to pay. ain't gonna get no money <laughs> no. Actually, I, I, I specifically have milk in my refrigerator that's like almost exclusive uses to put in tea <laughs> that's exactly what it's that for. is also yeah. why i keep milk in my refrigerator sometimes on the rare occasion i'll have milk and cookies mm-hmm. oh. but it's really there for my tea 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I will say every afternoon, it's like, it's that very British thing where you can't be doing anything else. Like Mm -hmm. no matter what was going on, we'd have to stop what we were doing to have Mm -hmm. tea. And there was usually some sort of cookies or something with it because it's the afternoon. But yeah, I miss it. I think more people should do that. Let's do it. Bring it stateside. Afternoon tea. (laughs) Afternoon tea. Send us pictures of your afternoon tea. Send Quit us, your job. Send for, us those grams. Tag yeah. them. TBD. Make sure you include us. <laughs> when I was in Germany visiting family very recently, uh, they do the same thing but with coffee. And they have these like, and they have to because they have these like huge meals, right? Like mm-hmm. for, because their big meal is like lunch or whatever. And I'm just like going to pass out. Like I'm so tired. And then they're like, you know, three o'clock comes around. They're like, all right, coffee and cake time. And <laughs> you're just like, no wonder because you would like fall asleep. Yeah. Um, but I got really addicted to it when I was in Germany and now I came back and I'm just like, Oh, need that coffee and coffee and kuchen, you know? Um, what's that second yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kuchen is cake okay. in German and coffee is cafe. So mm, I would have followed that one. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't use it. I, I yeah. did some Germanish. <laughs> you did. You did. Um, you mixed them up. <laughs> when I was in Germany, I once got a mocha. And they gave the chocolate on the side and you had to put it into the hot milk and stir it around yourself. Oh my God, I guess, bet that's better. It was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it was so fun. Fucking Europeans are so much more sophisticated than Ugh. we are. I do like that. Like, isn't an Americano? Isn't that just like uh, espresso and then you add a bunch of water to it yeah. or something? And it's like funny that that got named, that's the American one and you just pour a bunch of water on it. <laughs> if I remember this correct, I know a bunch of random facts and again, they might be wrong, but I think that it came from World War II when soldiers were in Italy. Yes. And that's why they started calling it because they couldn't do the intensity of <laughs> the Italian coffee. Yeah, so they watered it down for the American soldiers. <laughs> I have also heard that story. Okay. So if it's not true, we've both been it's, lied to. If and it's not true, it's a legend. Now I've heard it, so I believe it to be true. <laughs> we've made it true. Um, we've started a rumor. Yeah. Can I hit some more of that tea? But I don't know how to get to you it. You can. I'm scared. Emily will help you out. Thank you. Um, a resident assistant. Now, while Emily's pouring that tea, okay. we like to double do double duty. <laughs> Tessa, Thank would you. you consider this tea to be your cup of tea or not your cup of tea? Um, I'm into it. I could say it's my cup of tea. There we go. My go-to is always going to be my standard English breakfast with. Milk and sugar. That's my go-to, my comfort, mm-hmm. my home. Yeah. But this, I'm into. I you like would have it, it again. I expect it. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would recommend it to folks. Well, There you go. Especially if they like creme brulee. Yeah. <laughs> it's a surprising flavor. If people want to try this tea themselves, they can go to David's Tea. Cool. And buy some. I don't know if it's still there. Not, but a, not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but I'm just saying. <laughs> just Google it. I'm sure you'll find it. Not hashtag SponCon. Find um, anything on the internet. Matt? Can I? Oh, mm-hmm. question. Yes. Just yeah. logistical question. Sure. I did put that spoon in my tea, but I didn't lick it. Can I put it back in that sugar? Sure. <laughs> sure. Yes. Sugar away. <laughs> okay. Um, it's not contaminated. I think. I think we're. I think we're good. You can sugar up all you want. Thank you. Take my sugar. I need sugar. <laughs> um, Matt. Yes. Um, would you say that this jasmine creme brulee tea by David's Tea mm. is your cup of tea? Mm-hmm. Or not your cup of tea? I would have to say that this is also my cup of tea. It is um, it is an interesting flavor. And uh, I'd have to be kind of in the, like, the mood for it. But I feel like um, it's tasty. It's, you know, it's a little foreign because it's such a, it's so, it tastes like a piece of candy. <laughs> I 
I'm surprised really how sweet does. it's uh, all that pineapple sugar. I, think. I will say that's the other thing about this. Uh, it's I so Emily uh, and Tessa are both drinking this with sugar. Um, I do not have any sugar, but it's still very sweet. I think because of the the pineapple sugar or whatever's in here. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a pretty sweet. You probably don't tea. need the amount of sugar I'm putting in it to be clear. Yeah, I might try. Well, I don't know if there'll be enough for me to have another cup, but I might try it without sugar. Um, yeah, it's. Def- I mean, it tastes like it has sugar in it already Ooh. but also your teapot yeah. keeps that tea warm good job um it's my nice little teapot it's, it, everyone everyone likes to talk with the teapot <laughs> my mom got it's it at yard so sale cute <gasps> yard sales are the shit for good tea items oh, i love yeah. yard sales for some reason people are always getting rid of tea things i don't uh, know i guess it's because like one of the old people used to just have china that they kept for tea i don't know i i love tea i have a lot of tea crap <laughs> And I don't mind having it all. <laughs> I also um, love drinking more. tea. Yeah. What these people don't understand is that tea is becoming very trendy. So they're going to regret getting rid of their tea stuff. So many regrets. I don't have any regrets because I have too much tea and tea stuff. Mm-hmm. It's true. Hey, Matt, do you have a question for me? Yeah. Emily. Yes. Do you find uh, <laughs> one of David's teas, 2018 fall faves, 12, 12, oh, I just peek the microphone 12 teas to keep you cozy uh do you find their jasmine creme uh jasmine creme brulee a rich creamy and floral tea (laughs) i'm really stretching this out uh is this your cup of tea or is it not your cup of tea i want you to know i almost interrupted you and i stopped myself Hmm. um you know it's my cup of tea i don't get the jasmine flavor which is disappointing but it is good Mm -hmm. and uh, i would drink it again which is good because mm-hmm. there's a tiny bit left that I will be drinking. Good. Um, I don't get the jasmine flavor, which is disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> um, does this tea make us cozy? Is it oh, supposed to? It does make me cozy. Yeah. I, did you read that earlier? Or was that the first no, time? No, that's I the first that? time it's been read. It's rich, creamy, and floral. It's definitely also, it's creamy. Oh, it is creamy. It is creamy. And we don't even have milk in it. And it's pretty creamy. Yeah. And I don't think there's any dairy. We discussed the whether we needed milk or not, but I don't think you need it for a green tea. No. no. This, I think it, the milk would be too overpowering. It would be, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's it. Tea talk complete. <laughs> tea talk? Done. <laughs> I was trying to think of a, like a, uh, I couldn't think of anything. Another like, Tea word. time out, out, but like with a tea, I wanted something that had a. Tea time out. Tea, tea time. Yes. Hit the tea out. <laughs> Tired? I, I couldn't think of any, like I wanted a third tea and i couldn't where couldn't get there outy here <laughs> that's oh. not, that's, don't use that one tea it up. <laughs> everything that happens in this podcast gets yeah. used once and then forgotten forever <laughs> the best. okay um, so all of the stuff that has happened before this has been not important because we have your very important oh my god is it time it's Can time I reveal yes okay do i just like go is there like a drum roll i don't I can do a drum no, roll. No, it's okay. I just... <laughs> we'll go. We'll say, what is your topic? I was thinking that could be another tea. <laughs> My face just went... <gasps> what is like your tea topic? Okay. <laughs> Never to be said again. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, just like, yeah. Tr- trigger warning, I guess. I, <laughs> um, I chose to cover the Tenerife Airport disaster of let me see what year 1977 <laughs> the tenerife 
Airport Disaster <laughs> of 1977. Yes. To oh. be clear. So if you don't like, here's the thing. I don't like flying. I'm terrified of it. So that's why I did so much research because I felt like I couldn't do this unless I closed out with why planes are so safe. Oh. To okay. be clear. <laughs> to be clear. Uh-huh. Also, this happened in 1977. So there has been a lot of technological advances. Thank- that's way God. back when the first Star Wars movie came out. A New Hope, 1977. Is it? Mm, indeed. That's a fun fact. There you go. I can tell you all the years all the Star Wars movies came out. That, I can't but, even tell you the year of the plane crash that I researched. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this airport disaster. Okay. So first off, here's the thing. Um, more backstory <laughs> before I start anything. Uh, I did a lot of research. I didn't do that much research on the disaster because I did do it for a project in school because I went to college for emergency management and homeland security. Uh, so I studied for whatever reason, aviation disasters specifically because I'm a masochist. Um, (laughs) and don't do that if you're going to fly, just don't. Um, so this, this was my project (laughs) that I, I worked on my senior year. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's the, the Tenerife airport disaster. So, uh, I I also, I'm just going to show you guys, I have like seven pages of research (laughs) most of it again if you can take a look at it it's i cut and paste i went very my my favorite murder very my favorite murder style (laughs) which i felt like you'd appreciate it's not even in the same font (laughs) and uh some of the things are very big Mm -hmm. it's like this is like 20 point font so it's um that's why it's so long where is and i talk fast i will tell it okay i'll tell you it's um it is in the canary islands off the coast of spain uh, so how this disaster started, this is March 27th of 1927. Uh, there was a, this is why I should have done more research. There was a bombing in, a bombing and or a bomb threat, not clear which, at the Madrid airport, okay. which is where all of these commercial flights were headed. But because of this bombing or bomb threat or whatever it was at the time, they had to redirect all of the commercial flight traffic to nearby airports. Mm-hmm. At the time, the Tenerife airport was not a major commercial airport. It basically did a lot of cargo planes. There wasn't a lot of traffic. It's a very small airport, not designed for a lot of these big planes um, and not just like a major airport. Mm-hmm. Also not where they were trying to go. <laughs> so all the planes are grounded. They're sent to Tenerife. And uh, how far away flying? You don't. If you don't know, this is okay. Is Madrid from Tenerife? I do not know. Okay, I have no idea. <laughs> Let's assume it's an hour away. I don't think. Yeah, I think it's within two hours. Okay, it's not super far. Sounds but like they were basically like a- just like, we can't go here. So basically, what they did was they said we're going to take all these planes um, and we're going to land them on this island, and they don't. Uh, we're going to refuel. And just kind of wait mm-hmm. until we can get the clearance to go to Madrid. Mm-hmm. You were going to say something. I know. It just sounds like it's like a small town. Air- like Madrid is like a real airport. And right. Not that far from there. They just have like these smaller regional airports or yeah. whatever that they could just. It's exactly yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, so they have one, maybe two air traffic controllers working that day. They are not prepped. They are not ready for this much air traffic. Uh, start of the problem. Right. So all these additional commercial flights come in. They are hanging out. They're waiting there. They refuel, whatever. The people get off the plane for a a little bit. They come, they get back on. 
Um, but everybody's just kind of annoyed because they weren't supposed to be here. They weren't doing this, whatever. And they're just oh, trying to get on their day. Annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, this is not where I was yeah. going. <laughs> um, and so they're whatever. They're trying to get back on their, their day. Meanwhile, while they're doing this, the skies had been like clear and then a storm moves in because it's an island and that happens. Um, so it gets very, very foggy and they can't see. So they're relying solely off of air traffic control. Part of the problem was because a lot of these pilots had not flown into this airport. They weren't super airport they weren't super familiar with it mm-hmm. right so they're relying on air traffic control to tell them kind of where they're going do i turn here yeah. not sure whatever um and so basically how this whole disaster happened was there were two boeing 747 passenger jets um one was a klm flight i have the numbers here but i don't think they matter um <laughs> the second one was a pan am flight so back when pan am was still an airline um <clears throat> so the Pan Am flight was on the runway and they were asked, they were trying to get directions to go kind of line up to get Mm -hmm. out of the line to taxi, you know, to take off or whatever. And as they're doing this, um, they're, so they're communicating with air traffic control, excuse me, the KLM jet is waiting at the end of the runway for takeoff. They're the next in line to go. So the, so one plane is, they're both on the ground at this point. Okay. Um, So they're waiting to take off. They've just been given word that they can fly to Madrid now. So they've reloaded the passengers. Everybody's just kind of getting in line, getting ready to start leaving. Excuse me. And so they, so the KLM flight, as the Pan Am flight is asking for directions on where to go, they cannot see also down the runway. Yeah. BTW that this flight is in front of them. So they ask um, the, the, like the head pilot, <laughs> I don't know what they're called. The main pilot. The pilot. The pilot pilot. Um, pilot he asks the <laughs> correct, not the co-pilot, the pilot. Yeah. He asks the um, air traffic controller for clearance to take off. And the air traffic controller says, and I think it's in here. I have this. Um, oh, I didn't put it in order. So hold on. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say that the people on the, the flight that's about to take off must be so relieved that they're leaving this place. Correct. And I feel like that's a terrible feeling because it, it's a disaster, so it, it can't end well for these people. No, it's not going to go well. Um, <laughs> and that's very frustrating. It is. And um, I don't know where I put it. And maybe I didn't copy that one. Um, I was recently stranded at the Chicago airport for eight hours, oh, and no. I was so relieved to get on that plane. Right. You're just like ready to get. And yeah. so it's that it's that kind of feeling, right? Mm-hmm. So they think that obvi- there's a lot of factors in this. They think that that was a contributing factor, yeah. right? Because this pilot's just like, let's get going already. Like we've, yeah. we're way behind schedule. We just yeah. want to get to Madrid. Mm-hmm. We're on this freaking island with nothing. Mm-hmm. We, you know, their day their day has been shot. Like wherever yeah. else that plane was supposed to go that day, they're not going. Um, and who even knows if they're staying in Madrid, right? So uh, the pilot uh, asks for clearance for takeoff. And... Uh, the air traffic control says something along the lines of like, he says, okay, I'll give you the go ahead. Like, just like, wait, I'll give you clearance for takeoff. Mm -hmm. Um, Something, there is the line, so I'll find it. But he says something like that. And as he, he says, okay, and then the Pan Am flight hears this over the radio and they're like, hey, we're still on the runway. And basically, you know how when someone's on the radio and you, they're talking and yep. then a third person comes in. So it sounds like over the voice recorder, it says, okay, take off. And then so the KLM flight, the pilot is like, all right, we're going. I'm going to go. And so, and there is some sort of discrepancy as well 
I was reading in there um, that new pilot training has come out of this. Mm -hmm. A lot of things of this disaster specifically. Uh, But the co-pilot said something along the lines of like, maybe we should like re- like ask again or double mm-hmm. check or whatever and this more senior guy was just like no it's fine we're going <laughs> and so there's like because it was a like a status thing yeah. right so now say, co-pilots are allowed to question yeah. more the phrasing of i'll give you the go-ahead is very confusing it is very confusing yeah yes that's one of the things that came out of this disaster. <laughs> and just the they're actually not allowed to use the phrase okay yeah. in air traffic control at all whatsoever now because it's very ambiguous as mm-hmm. to what it means, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, basically, so the the flight goes to take off down the runway. And um, you, the, I did put the line in here from the, um, the Pan Am pilot, which is the flight on the runway, right? He sees a 747 coming at him. Terrifying. And he says, look at him. God damn, that son of a bitch is coming. I'm sure he said it with more gusto, but yeah. I really appreciate that. Look that at him, that son of a bitch is coming. Yeah. It sounds son like it's from a bitch is coming. It's like from an action movie. Right, right? Look at him. God damn it. Okay. If it was an action movie, though, he would he would get out of the plane and push it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. Well, so I, again, I, I did a lot of research on this, and it's much more detailed, but the Pan Am flight tried to gear up the engine to get off the runway quicker mm-hmm. when they saw them coming but it's too, you can't move a 747 no. that quickly like it takes some time to get it yeah moving so it was really too late by the time he saw the other plane and so basically the klm flight was just like fuck we can't stop now and so i just tried to take off early left a 40 foot gash on the runway where the tail hit like mm-hmm. the runway because he tried to take off early to not hit this other plane um and it basically what happened was the the engine and all the bottom of the top flight hit the other oh, plane no. on the runway. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry, guys. This is a real <laughs> bummer. <laughs> I did give a trigger warning. Just scoot through this and get to the part about the safe stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not sorry, guys, that you have to sit through this. Um, <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. So... Um, I like that. Yeah. I like that there's lessons learned eventually. There's a lot of lessons learned <laughs> and it has actually made everyone's air uh, travel safer. Um I hope I don't regret asking this, mm-hmm. but what is the what was the um disaster like how What was the how disaster? Many- Two planes city. No, I know. That's not what I'm asking, but like how many people got hurt and injured or died? Mm-hmm. Um so it is still to date the deadliest aviation disaster in the history of aviation. Um, it resulted in 583 fatalities. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and yes, I think there were about 60 survivors, and they were all on the Pan Am flight. The one on hit. the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, the one that got hit. Okay. Yes. Because basically the flight that tried to take off just kind of when the engines came off, it just sort of went in the air and fell back down, right? Because yeah. it doesn't bode well. When you don't have an engine or a tail. The yeah. rest of the plane. Yeah. yeah. Like it just. Did it just land back at the airport like 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 further down the runway or so yeah they they landed further down the runway and actually when the first responders responded to the the incident um it was so foggy that day that the like the fire trucks that arrived did not realize they were working two different planes like they didn't know there were two different scenes Hmm. until people started walking out of um the like the pan am flight yeah um and then they were just like where are these people coming from they were like oh my god there's another plane here like they could that's how foggy it was they didn't they couldn't see it it's (laughs) crazy it's insane yeah the 70s (laughs) it's just 
fucking crazy. Um, yeah. So basically, uh, they say that uh, a lot of it was attributed to bad weather, the planes not being able to see each other, exclusively relying on air traffic control to guide them. Um, yeah. And it was so at the time when it spotted the other flight, it was just 2,000 feet away from the other plane, which when you're going super fast is is late. And when you're a giant plane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, it, so really, it really, it's that Pan Am flight. I, so when you were first describing it, it sounded like that flight was hit, but not necessarily like super hard, but it sounds like it was hit pretty hard. Well, the, I think the engines like exploded mm-hmm. when it hit it because it, it's a lot of fire. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Nah, I guess that gives me a better visual of how exactly <laughs> the two planes. Well, so this, uh, this, um, I'm not great at copy and pasting. Um, There's a a quote from a survivor. uh, The Pan Am co-captain, actually, was uh, who died in 2017, told BBC Witness in 2016 that when the other flight hit them, it was a very soft boom, is what he heard. He said he looked up for the fire control handles, and that's when he noticed the top of the airplane was gone. So it had, like, ripped off the top. Sheared the top of the plane away. Oh, my God. That's... Um, that's uh, it's rougher than I thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And so uh, then he ex- he explained that he jumped to the ground 40 feet from the co- cockpit and landed on the grass. So a lot of people yeah. that made it off of this flight jumped off, jumped off, um, had broken bones, broken lots of yeah. things because they're still... jumping from the height of they said it was two story building. I mean, 40, yeah. 40 feet is pretty, pretty high up there. <laughs> right. I did yeah. not know planes were that tall. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I literally never thought understand. about it, but. I mean, I guess like yeah. the, the doors are higher up, right? Like, like the plane, like the yeah. bottom of the plane isn't forty feet up, but like it, there's a lot of distance between the bottom of the plane yeah. and like where the doors actually are. And then when you think yeah. about the wheels being down, because mm-hmm. they were not just in the air, right? They were on the runway, and so the KLM flight was carrying two hundred forty-eight passengers. So if that tells you that the size of this plane, and the Pan Am flight had three hundred ninety-six people on board. Wow! So it's there was a lot of people. And five hundred. Like these people are big died. planes. These yeah. aren't. Yeah, five hundred eighty-three people. That's Almost six hundred. Yeah. So um, it's crazy. A lot of people. Um, there's one lady that, that he's. Uh, I think it's a quote from the same person. I really don't know. Um, one poor lady jumped first, and everyone else jumped on her, breaking her back, oh. arms, and legs. Oh, Isn't that crazy? I'm guessing that's why they have those slides now. That yeah. You know, yeah. But even I at that, I feel like even with with those slides. Like in that situation, you have yeah. to like put them out and the plane has to be working. And when the plane is missing the top of it, who knows how that works? works. Yeah. <laughs> and I jump. assume yeah. the, the flight attendants have to do something with the the slides. Yeah. Or if you're in the exit row, I'm pretty sure you sign something. I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing with the, the doors aren't so bad, but I don't know. Like I know how to open the doors. Like I know that I've done it, but like those seem simple enough because doors are doors. Right. But like. Correct. Then on the instructions, they're always like, and then put out the the ladder or the the slide. I'm like, that looks a little harder. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I think that is the flight crew is supposed to do those things. They're technically supposed to, yeah. yeah. But they tell everyone how to do it in case they can't get there or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so after five minutes, um, it said the fuel tank blew up. So it's a fully just freshly loaded plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so five minutes... 
actually is enough time to evacuate a plane. They're designed to be able to evacuate them very quickly. Yeah. But it's, um, I think the average is like, I, they're supposed to be able to do it in three minutes, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Um, and so, which is crazy fast when you think about yeah. how long it takes people to get on. Yeah. Um, but that's why you're not supposed to take your bags. You're not supposed to like yeah. bring stuff with you or what, like you get off and they, they're trained to like kind of yell at you to make you just like go, 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 yeah. you know, like just, if you have to leave the plane, it's the reason they want to evacuate it quickly is because there's a lot of fuel and it's probably going to blow up. Like you yeah. have to get off. Um, and so there was a flight in, um, I don't even know. I had, uh, so if you read the book, the unthinkable, it's very good. Um, it's about disaster, like who survives mm-hmm. disasters and why or something is the subcaption. Um, but there's a flight and they talk about that and they basically like, they are trained to like, basically yell at you because you're more likely to listen and like to get off the plane. And, um, at first all the passengers were like, why are they yelling at it? Like they're kind of annoyed. And then they evacuated the plane in like 90 seconds and then it blew up at three minutes and they were just like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's why they, yeah. So there's a reason for these things, guys. This is what's crazy. (laughs) Um, this is why flying is so safe. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, okay. So 61 people survived the crash. All, um, were on the Pan Am flight. Um, the incident, uh, in the incident report filed in 1977, it was explained that there was a breakdown in communication due to the ambiguous use of words, okay, and takeoff, um, as well as there were different accents and languages involved, um, which does not help these things. Mm -hmm. Um, here's the quote. He said, the controller said, uh, okay, there's a pause. And then he says, stand by for takeoff. I will call you. (laughs) And... They didn't hear it yeah. because of the, the radio interference. That radio yeah. interference thing, it's so that's that bugs me. <laughs> like in a way where I'm like, man, if I don't if I'm on the phone with somebody and I don't hear them, I don't hear their whole sentence, I'll be like, hey, can you say that again? Yeah, one more time. <laughs> yeah. Before yeah. I take off this gigantic plane. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's pretty stressful. Um, but to, you know, to kind of qualm your What fears, are some things we've learned from this flight? Wait, um, I want. I have to. I have to ask one more thing okay. before we get to learning stuff. Mm-hmm. It, did it, were were people punished? <laughs> was like the flight was like the uh, people in the tower held accountable or anything? I mean, the guy, the guy who I don't think he did anything wrong is the problem. At yeah. the time, there was no standard communication. Mm-hmm. He he said what he he was like, hey, okay, you can take off. Just like give me a sec, kind of deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was too colloquial. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the KLM, I believe, is a Dutch airline. I don't fucking know. I could be wrong. Just and say with confidence we're going to believe you. Yeah, it's <laughs> European of some sort. Um, I think they now have a merger with uh, Delta. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> they're all owned by two companies. Um, and so, uh, and then Pan Am was obviously an American flight. So they have an American pilot and they have a European yeah. I'm a Dutch pilot and then you have a Spanish air traffic control mm. that does not it isn't even used to like doing a lot of yeah. planes you know yeah. what I mean it's like they went to work thinking like oh just another day and they were like didn't know this was going to be the busiest day we've ever had at this airport you yeah. know what I mean oh, like man. it's just I guess it is just like it's too bad when you like think like, like so many people died over like three or four like words, accidents yeah. and or like not People not double checking, the weather being bad, the yeah. people being inexperienced, the guy who was trying to take off being in a rush. Like, ugh, it's like every. Well, exactly. And I think it 
in general, that's how disasters happen. It's like yeah. this culmination of all of these factors. Yeah. Because if any one of those things had happened, it'd probably have been fine. Yeah. Right? But if it had been a clear day, they would have seen the other plane. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's it's just, it yeah. all adds up. All right, let's get and, happy. Oh. Oh, what? You I was going to say, and presumably let's the person. Keep it down here. <laughs> the person who was, like, mainly at fault, the rushing pilot, pilot guy. Who didn't double check, fucking he, died. Yeah, so you so. can't really. Yeah. He's been punished in a different way. Oh. I know. Kind of gave me weird chills. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very sad. It's such a downer. I'm sorry to bring it there. What have we learned? It's upsetting. Huh. Here's what we have learned from it. So many things. Um, yes. Yeah, so Are we safe to fly? <laughs> it's super safe, guys. I like have statistics in here. Actually, I genuinely hate flying. I'm not good at it. Um, I know too much about um, what happens uh, in the aftermath. It, so anyway, um, about like family, like, so airlines, I will tell you this, if you, um, a lot of times when like flight attendants, I learned this a lot of times when flight attendants are going by and they're looking for, they, they're checking for seatbelts. They are, but they're also looking to see who changed seats because they have to report that before takeoff. Mm-hmm. Um, because in the event there's a plane crash, they have to, when they notify the family, it's part of the FAA like regulations that yeah. they have to tell you tell your family what seat you were in and so if you switch Hmm. seats they have to like verify that info before takeoff um Hmm. so my one of my flights like on the way back here the other day i like switched seats and i was like oh god this is so stressful (laughs) i I gotta make sure that i know someone um yeah (laughs) don't don't fly um but actually it's fine it's fine uh so um yeah so the when the co-captain highlighted a possible miscommunication um he was not able to like challenge the captain's decision or whatever. So, uh, yeah. So now co-pilots and even the crew have been given power to challenge captain's decisions. So even like a crew member can say like, Hey, something's on the wing or what, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, boy, I hope that captain stops. With that. <laughs> There's something on the wing. on the wing. <laughs> I'm a, I fly hundreds of times a year and, there's something on that wing. Is <laughs> that supposed to do that? I don't think so. Um, yeah. So pilots also are now uh, required to learn what's called radio telephony. Didn't practice saying that before now. Um, also known as aviation English, which features roughly 300 words and instructions on when and how to use them. Um, so Roger, for example, means received, but it does not mean that the receiver understands the instructions or that they're planning to comply it Mm -hmm. just means that they're received um a pilot might say roger and then repeat the instruction back to air traffic control or atc to make sure both sides are clear on the situation or they can say roger and explain why they can't follow the instruction so they're saying i received that do you is this you know let's clarify this you're Mm -hmm. you wanting me to take off correct or Mm -hmm. you're not um or they're saying, I see that you're giving me clearance, but there's a plane here. You know what I mean? Um, so they can do that. Um, pilots only confirm that they will follow the instructions given when they say will co. So it's short for will comply. Um, that okay. means I'm going to do it. Yeah. Wow. I've so, heard this frame, the so you, phrase will co. Before. I have too, but I never knew what it meant. So would you say, so if the, if the if, if, ATC... <laughs> I'm a pilot. Mm-hmm. And ATC says Are to you? me... Oh, no. I... <laughs> no, no. I'm role-playing. I was 
Like, could you imagine if this whole time I was like explaining pilots to you? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> like, fun fact: I work and, for American Airlines. And, and, th- and this whole time, I just let you talk. Like, <laughs> actually, no, I, KLM is a subsidiary of. <laughs> I would have waited to the waited to the very end and been like, "By the way, I'm a pilot," and then like. All this was fucking wrong. And also everyone listening to this podcast presumably would have been like aware that I'm a pilot. Like, cause that would have probably come up before. Although I don't know. Not how much. You're like, I was saving it for the perfect topic <laughs> as a button. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Okay. I'm role playing as a pilot. Correct. ATC's like, uh, whatever they say. Um, you're good to take off. Uh-huh. I would say if I heard him, if I heard them correctly, I would go Roger wilco yes and then i would take off because yes. i heard them correctly. that means i got you and i'm gonna do it but if i didn't hear correctly i would go roger i'm taking off or you want me to take off or yeah, something like whatever, yeah you would ask a clarifying answer, yeah. question right. yeah does is this, it doesn't have all 300 of the words but i'm sure there's words for yeah. that and is, is this worldwide that everyone it is like all pilots it's international mm-hmm. they all have to use um Radio telephony. Aviation. <laughs> Aviation English. Uh, telephony, telephony, yep. telephony. No one knows. Um, I hope yeah. we don't mm-hmm. get any corrections. I'm not going to read them. Okay. So all, a lot of that info. So one, it came from, I'll just give some credit, uh, Wikipedia. It also happened at Los Rodeos Airport on the Tenerife Islands, or on the um, on the island Tenerife of the Canada. I didn't want to say this earlier, but Ed Sheeran has a song in which he calls someone's eyes Tenerife. blue, like the, the Tenerife. Tenerife Sea. I know. Um, it took me a minute to get to listen to that song because I was yeah. I immediately think of this when I think of Tenerife. Does he, on the song, say trigger warning when he starts singing about it? Um, no. A lot of people think that song is about Taylor Swift. Anyways. Interesting. Why is everything about Taylor Swift? Because she's fucking amazing. Or everything Taylor Swift does is also about someone else. Like, this song I don't know. She's good at getting people person. talking about it, though. Yeah. I will say. And Ray her and Ed Sheeran are best friends. Who and who? Oh, Ed Sheeran? Yeah. Cool. That's all. I just had to bring up the fact that yeah. I you knew that information. Good for both of them. <laughs> Anyways, back to this disaster. I will say on the topic of airplanes, when they were recording, um, they like recorded a song together. They, they didn't record like together or whatever. Yeah. She sent a person with an iPad to London to meet Ed Sheeran so he could listen to the song. And then he had to give the iPad back. And then that person brought it back to the states like and it was never allowed to leave this person's like say. so no one could have the song or copy it or whatever and i'm like her music has to be worth so much fucking money <laughs> to be able to do that you, you know, know what, what i mean i'm gonna say if it's a song i'm thinking of it's a good song but it's not that good <laughs> i mean i guess that's probably i know i just rolled my eyes hard. i'm like it's probably fine <laughs> <laughs> but they're both very talented songwriters um Okay. Back to- I did get a light, so I'm going to talk fast. <laughs> Here's my next talk. Oh, the other place that I got it from was um, The Sun. It's a UK oh, I source. Know. I read The Sun a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I've heard of this. <laughs> and I, I was going to write down some of the article titles because I thought they were funny and then I didn't. But one was like, I will say one was um, it w- how to travel on holiday when your children have a different surname. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, okay. I keep looking at you. I'm sorry. Um, look at whoever you want to look I, at. <laughs> so the next, my my transition statement is, it's so safe. It is. So safe. <laughs> Tell us why. Uh, okay. So things like, uh, also, something they did not have in the 70s was like radar and like GPS. So oh, now yeah. you can see where other planes are, even if you can't 
see them yeah. with your mm-hmm. eyes, right? Like you can see it on screens and sh- I don't know. Um, but you, they know where they are generally. Screens, they're not that bad. Exactly. <laughs> see, technology. Um, so globally, global positioning, um, <clears throat> excuse me, satellite global positioning, advanced displays, and telecommunication have enabled the level of flight precision impossible in earlier areas of air travel. Um, so during the 50s and 60s, fatal accidents occurred uh, about once every 2,000 flights. And today... That is so frequent. The, oh, I'm sorry. 200,000. Okay. okay. <laughs> that, sounds, that was just like every other plane. More reasonable. <laughs> like, one, one every 2,000 is like <laughs> one, a, one a day. Yeah, like more about. Than, more than one a day. Yeah. Well, not the 50s and 60s. <laughs> no. Uh, so one in every... Uh, 200,000 flights. That's a little better. That's a little better, but still scary. Today, uh, worldwide safety record um, is more than 10 times better with fatal accidents occurring less than once in every 2 million flights. That is much better. This is now, I would love to know the stat on non-fatal accidents. I feel like that's... Yeah, I don't know. It's not as important, though. Who cares? I mean, I understand, but but I will say, and I again did not do this even kind of in order. Um, I was going to take time later and go back together, but I just found too much information. Um, (laughs) The that statistic includes um, like small planes, which are much more likely to go down. So, like it, like little private jet things. mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, People small jets. Their own things. Yeah, it, like the the single engine prop planes. Mm-hmm. Thing, you know what I mean? That that yeah. tend to have higher fatality rates and and more crashes yeah. because they're not commercial aviation. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, aviators. So that statistic even includes those. So your com- chances on a commercial flight are very, very, very slim. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, devices in the cockpit have also um, are now able to. Uh, warn pilots of approaching terrain or potential conflicts with other airplanes. Um, Yes, which they did not have before. Um, Also, pilots have to go through much more rigorous training. That's important. All have to learn about this specific disaster as well. Um, And uh, a quote from Captain Sully, who you may remember from the the movie. (laughs) The movie Sully. <laughs> the movie Tom Hanks. Um, also, it, yes, all, played by Tom Hanks. Um, also known from the the Miracle on the Hudson. Um, he said technology is no substitute for experience, skill, and judgment. Um, he was he put a U.S. Airways flight um, into New York's uh, Hudson River after both of his engines were disabled by Canadian geese, yeah, if I remember say, correctly. It was like, yeah. Also, fun was... fact, I found out that my sister's roommate's dad was on that flight. Oh Isn't that God. crazy? I was like talking to her this weekend. She's like, oh, yeah, my roommate's dad was on that plane. I was like, what? That's so random. Um, it is. I would have loved to have been on that plane for that to be part of my backstory. No, not me. To be like, I, I, no, was I would never. What's crazy is I was like, does does he fly? Like, does he get in planes? And she was like, yeah. He, well, he um, thinks he's invincible. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would never get another plane. I'd be like, this was my warning. That was it. That was, <laughs> I was told. And I feel I like I go. would lead towards that. Also, <laughs> Canadian geese, they're everywhere. 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 Yeah. And to, I would assume two of them had to get into these engines? It was a whole flock. They hit like a oh. flock of them. Ah, oh, Sully. So it wasn't like, one. you know, it wasn't like a, oh, one's out. Oh, another. <laughs> oh. It was just like, oh, fuck, there's yeah. a whole bunch of geese. The flock, uh, the flock wasn't uh, on the uh, correct air traffic control lingo. Yeah. They were not <laughs> they following aviation not. English. <laughs> aviation English. Fuck those Canadian bastards. Goose, goose English. Um, <laughs> yeah. Aviation goose, gooseies. 
Geesey. I don't know. I don't have a plural. Geesey. Um, yeah. So, um, yes, but the, uh, there's so much more on this. Okay. Um, um, yes. Was the original pilot, he was, well, I guess he was more experienced, but did he have a lot of experience? The KLM guy? You don't know. He was the more senior of the pilots. Okay. That's what I know. I'm not sure. Sounds like this is like the Titanic of, uh, of disasters, kind of. They didn't put enough lifeboats on it and all that stuff. And then this is like, yeah. Yeah. Now we have to. It's the culmination of all the things to make it as difficult as possible or as catastrophic as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, important thing to remember, most commercial aviation accidents are not fatal. Um, of 301 accidents worldwide in the last 10 years, which is very few, uh, less than a quarter of those involved any fatalities. Okay. Which is crazy. Um, so, uh, yeah, they talk about planes losing altitude or planes landing gear got botched or sliding off runways or things like that. Um, and very few people will die in those events. Um, uh, I will also say a story of uh, a friend of mine was flying to Mexico and they were out over the Gulf of Mexico and the plane got struck by lightning, lost power, lost wow. altitude very quickly, and they just sort of turned the plane back on and kept flying. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's like, like when your car stalls, yeah. but it's a plane. <laughs> exactly. And they were like, oh, whoops. You know, you know what I mean? Like, oh, got hit by lightning. Gonna keep going now. Like, it was just like, he was like, it was so fine, but everyone freaked the fuck out. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that would make me never want to fly. <laughs> yeah. I, 100%. Yeah. Um, 100%. Isn't that what happened to the Marshall flight? It got struck by lightning, but it... I do not know because I try not to research aviation disasters now. <laughs> okay. Just this was my one. classic mistake. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was I don't awesome. Know, but it might be. Though. Might be. Was it? I don't know. I saw the movie. <laughs> I know there was a lot of plane crashes in the 90s. I do know that. Um, this was definitely not the 90s, several based ones, on the hairstyle yeah. and mm-hmm. general feel of the movie. Okay. It's like a 70s, 80s yeah. time frame. Man, I'm glad I fly now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nothing can happen because it does, but it's way, way very unlikely. Please say it can't happen to me. <laughs> Statistically very slim. Matt, you're, it's not going to happen. I'm Thank gonna you, go through, I'm going to go things through things that you're more likely to have happen. Um, <laughs> so... Um, uh, fun fact, the modern airliner seat can withstand 16 times the force of gravity. Um, yep, which is crazy. Uh, they are also, the fabrics and cushions are fire retardant and self-extinguishing and will not in- emit toxic smoke. And even the items found in the backs of the seats are tested to make sure they cannot become lethal. Like the Like the menus ma- magazines and, and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, the insulation in the cabin walls is also fire retardant. And in case of emergency, emergency lighting is close to the door, um, and makes it easier to locate exits if there is a fire and smoke in the cabin. Um, yep. Okay. I also wrote this quote down, but I do not know what it means. It says many planes today can operate in a geographic window so exact that their horizontal position remains within a wingspan with vertical deviation less than the height of the tail. So does that mean it just like can't? I was hoping go that someone far could help track? me. I feel like that means it can't go that far off track. Or yeah. if it does, it knows what's like. Like it would know another plane. Yeah, really like close. my my thought process is that like it's whatever its kind of space is mm-hmm. in in the air. That's where it can go. Yeah. That's I don't I, know. It doesn't make sense to me. 
I don't know what it means. I was hoping someone could figure it out or if I'd say it out loud and <laughs> suddenly it would make sense. I don't know. Um, I wish I was a pilot to help you. I know. I As, like, a, as a pilot. I shouldn't be allowed to talk to pilots because I would just be like, and what about this? And what about this? And what about those clouds that always stick up and kind of look like dicks? <laughs> what kind are those? Like, I just want to know, you know? Um, Do you think so, they would know that? <laughs> that last question? I guarantee they'd know. I'd be like, you know the ones? And they'd be like, yeah, these. You know what I mean? Like, these. okay. You just always, they're the, like the clap. They all, they have those little uppy things. They just, anyway, but they're not the flat ones that like kind of hang out. I need to learn clouds. I got to go back to like third grade. <laughs> um, okay. I'm talking fast. Um, so uh, somebody probably told you at some point that you're more likely to die in a car accident than a plane crash. And that's actually true. Um, that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. Your odds of dying in a car accident are about one in 5,000 and your odds of dying in a plane crash are about one in 11 million. Don't like either of those statistics, but I don't mind. It makes me never want to get in a car again. The plane one. That's good. That car one. That's even worse than I thought it was. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh-huh. That's why I hate to drive. Yeah. Car accidents are actually very dangerous and scary. You're also more likely to be struck by lightning with a one in 13,000 chance. You're more likely to die in a car accident than be struck by lightning. Correct. More than three times as likely. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. never uh, getting in a car again. Yeah. I'm learning. That's the that's the scariest part of this whole thing is the car accident part. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Don't get in cars. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, so obviously fatal accidents do occur, but they think that obviously the media outlets give them so much attention that you think that they happen a lot more frequently yeah. than they do. Um. And uh, in school, when I learned about this, this is called high impact, high impact, low probability incidents, mm-hmm. right? You don't hear about car accidents that often because they happen more only, often. They're happening a lot and they're only affecting a few people yeah. at a time, yeah. right? Whereas when a plane carrying 300 people goes, they're impacting a lot of fucking people yeah. at the same time. And it's yeah. also just a fear people have. Yeah. So it feeds into all of that. Um. Yes. So now fatal accidents occur uh, once every two million flights, which is a lot of flights. That feels very safe. Yeah. Well, yeah. Decently yeah. safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I'll ever go on two million in my life. So the odds are in my favor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so uh, some other fun facts. I'll skim through them. Commercial aircraft go through extensive testing before they're sold to airlines. Um, you've probably seen car stuff i'm sorry i talk with my hand i'm hitting mic things um the car commercials yes rigorous car testing uh Mm -hmm. in like crash testing and whatever they do the same thing with planes fun fact with the dummies and everything um well i don't know about the dummies but they do use dead chickens to test the (laughs) engines to see how they react to being hit um well obviously not very well birds is a thing yeah because some do better than others i guess they they need to make a flock of flock of dead chickens mm-hmm. they do wing flexibility testing um and they f- bend the wings uh sometimes up to 90 degrees in order to actually snap them because um that tells them where their breaking point is and how much pressure they can take and it requires this process requires far more force than any plane will ever experience in an actual flight like you, you just can't have that wind is not going to be intense enough to bend mm-hmm. the plane's wing um so they're very strong but they're designed to bend and bounce so they don't break um they have ingestion testing um first of which is a bird strike test where dead chickens are shot into the engines <laughs> to simulate hitting a bird and I'm they getting, also test the windshields this way i'm getting that um, flying on planes is not vegan <laughs> <laughs> 
It's also, they emit a lot of uh, stuff in the air, you know, it's not great for the environment. Um, The second test is a water test where they um, put the plane on a heavily like water, they cover the the runway in water um, to ensure that um, a ton of water doesn't get into the engines when they're like taking off landing. Do they both do... Do they do both tests at the same time? Do the the water test and the flock of put it in dead? water and throw some chickens yeah. at it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying they should <laughs> they should try it out. See what Big happens. Combination. <laughs> you never know when a flock of chickens is going to hit you while you're sitting in water. Um, a flock of dead a flock of dead chickens. <laughs> flock of dead chickens. Um, so temperature and altitude testing um, also happens. So very they test it in extremely hot and extremely cold temperatures. Um, and then they also test um, velocity minimum unstick testing. It mm-hmm. says a test pilot will actually drag the plane's tail along the runway to determine the absolute uh, minimum speed needed for takeoff. So I, I think that this does not mean in the ground like the other flight, but like they're going to get as close to the runway as possible to see how much speed they actually need to pick up. Hmm. Does that make huh. sense? Um, and then brake testing. Pilot. So they're loaded to their maximum weight, equipped with worn brake pads, um, and then brought to takeoff speed before it hits the brakes to come to complete stop. Let's see how fast they can stop that. Yeah, it's kind of like mm-hmm. that driving school we did, mm-hmm. but in a plane. <laughs> just, this is just like driving <laughs> Driver's <school>. plane <laughs> in a 777. Wow, I'm glad this came um, at, back yes. around. <laughs> um, yeah, so they're also tested for other emergencies like lightning strikes and low fuel scenarios. Um, oxygen masks work even if they do not look like they do. <laughs> I did not know this. Um, but oxygen masks are deployed when there's loss of cabin pressure if you put the mask on. Um, so I did know this. It says you have as little as 15 seconds due to lack of oxygen before you lose consciousness. Um, so you got to do it fast. That's why they tell you to put it on you before anyone else. I've actually heard that that's about 10 seconds. So that's longer than I've ever seen. And if you actually look on the emergency cards, they have a timer that's going 10 seconds, which <laughs> is interesting. Um, it, but that's, they don't ever tell you why you know, you're supposed to put it on yourself before children or whatever. Um, that's why, because Caution, you will, you will lose consciousness <laughs> and then you're both out. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. But then they, that will give you, um, uh, the oxygen mask is, um, spring loaded mechanism that sets off a chemical reaction that generates oxygen within the mask itself. Um, and that bag just actually prevents oxygen from releasing. It's not pumping oxygen in, so you're not going to see it. Um, and then the mask suggests uh, it, that's also why it's important to tighten it, like they tell you in the emergency procedures. I never pay attention to the procedures. Well, they don't tell you why you need to do that thing. You're like, all right, yeah. it's on my face, whatever. Um, yeah, so I thought that that was interesting. I never knew how those worked. Um, commercial flights can safely land with just one engine, uh, can fly safely with one engine, and can land without any. Isn't wow. that crazy? Um, yes. Sully did it. That's right. He <laughs> did do it. Yes, Fucking Sully. Captain Sully, our hero. Um, so engines provide thrust, which is important, um, but the plane can fly just fine without any of them uh, if one of them goes out um, and can operate without, with, yeah, with only one engine. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, it's like how people can operate without just one kidney. Yeah. We have two of them, but you only really need one. Right. The other one's there for backup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when the well, what happens if a flock of Canadian geese fly into your kidneys? You've got bigger things to worry about. <laughs> I guess you got two chances, you know? Yeah. Um, so uh, they have uh, what's called um, a dead stick, 
when the engines go out, um, which means the control stick remains effective. So they can still control the the plane and the wing flaps and all that jazz. Um, and the word itself emerged from Britain's Royal Air Force during World War I. Um, the thing when they're flying the plane and there us uh, people in the hallway oh, okay. um and they grab it's like old world war, world war ii video uh videos and they are like movies representing it and they're like on the stick <laughs> yes yeah yes but uh this was world war one and during the or, war yeah. the engine reliability was so poor that pilot recruits had to rep- prepare for the likelihood not just the possibility that their engines would quit so air flight has come a long, a long way. fucking way. So they were taught to land within a 150-foot diameter circle um, with the engine off, which is crazy. Mm. It's crazy. Okay, I'm going very fast. I'm so sorry. Um, airplanes aren't as gross as you think. There's a big... Um, people are, like, terrified that um, they're nasty and germ-infested. Um, and the cabin air system actually doesn't recycle um, all that much air. It's only about 20 to 30%. Um and it goes through uh, HEPA filters. Nope, that that twenty to thirty times, uh, and it goes. Yeah, it's filtered twenty to thirty times an hour with HEPA filters that are similar to the ones you would find in a hospital ICU, um, which I did not know. So you're not only gonna not be in an accident, you're not gonna get the flu. I mean, well. you could, you could, <laughs> um, but the cat, it's not from the cabin air being recycled because it's being replaced every two to three minutes with the plane's built in air supply system. So it's pulling air from the outside. Um, so your office, uh, or local coffee shop is more stuffy than an airplane. Just FYI. Well, well, they are, they're all stuffy. So yeah, there you go. So last thing, turbulence isn't dangerous and there are, uh, ways to reduce your chances of experiencing it. Um, so uh, turbulence is not a safety concern, but it is, um, and it's not a huge danger to you or the plane, uh, but it is uh, annoying and uncomfortable. Um, True. Obviously. <laughs> turbulence is an aggravating nuisance for everyone, including the crew, but it's also, for lack of a better term, normal. That's <laughs> what this says. Um, and the main reason that pilots pilots do their best to avoid turbulence is because it's annoying. Um, and they want to sip their coffee without spilling it, just like you do. It's true. Um, One time I was told not to, that I couldn't get my tea yet on a plane because we were going to go through turbulence and they didn't want to spill tea all over. I, they didn't want me to spill my tea all over my lap in said turbulence. That's Fair. very kind of them. And that's a pretty on-brand thing for me to say about turbulence. It is. I couldn't drink my tea. Look at you. I will say Virgin Air, solid, good tea. They had good mm-hmm. tea. Um, I bet I was on JetBlue. Oh. Probably. I love JetBlue. Um, yeah, so they say if you want to reduce your chances of turbulence, uh, you should fly early in the morning or closest to sunset when the sun isn't heating the Earth's surface and it creates a, um, when the sun is heating the Earth's surface, it creates a less stable atmosphere. Hmm. Um, and then it says also, why does it say also? Oh, uh, if you pick your seat, um, choose one directly over the wings because the ones over the nose and tail experience more motion. Well, that makes sense. More wobble, probably. But yeah, less good view true. over the wings. Yes. Yeah. It's also but louder. I don't like the motion, so I always try to get closer to it. I like really don't like it. But actually, statistically, I didn't put this in my notes, but it is a thing. And um, some airline posted it recently, and they got a bunch of shit for it. Um, but the safest seats are actually in the back. So if the plane does crash, the like the back portion tends to stay intact mm-hmm. the best. Mm. Um, and that's where the, most of the scribes are. So like a lot of pilots will sit in the back of the one because there's no fucking seats available except from the back but <laughs> um it's kind of funny yeah. that first class is usually in the front mm-hmm. so they're gonna die uh, yeah i watch rich people yeah. i watch like a 
uh, stuff you should know or something on it was I want to say the Weather Channel, but they like crashed a bunch of planes on purpose to see how they to see yeah. where they break and stuff. Yeah. And it breaks like right behind the cockpit, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's where like the most damages or whatever. And so the the captain they were interviewing was like, "Yeah, well, it doesn't look like it's gonna fare well for me." <laughs> kind of no. deal. So maybe just don't crash it. Yeah, um, keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, and I will say turbulence. I don't like it at all. It's very scary. Mm-hmm. Um. And I've experienced quite a fair amount of it. Um, yeah. So. Me I too. I, yeah, it's not great. I once flew. Um, this is a much longer story, which I won't tell because I know we're short on time. <laughs> but uh, I once flew with a Coast Guard flight from um, Tallahassee, Florida to Miami, Florida. And one of my friends that uh, used to work for the Coast Guard, who's retired, uh, was like, hey, I hooked us up on a Coast Guard flight because we got to go to Miami. And I was like great cool. and so um basically it was a not pressurized plane so we couldn't fly above this like storm that we had to go through um <laughs> and they're just fucking used to it so like i did not find this out till later but the pilot bet someone that he could make someone throw up um going through the so storm <laughs> yes um i was that person um uh, <laughs> and um meanwhile so we were we were we hit a florida thunderstorm they're huge um and we were I shit you not, we were rising and falling between 750 feet and 1,000 feet at a time. Like, I was strapped to a cargo net, and your whole body, like, your arms would just automatically go up. And one of my friends that was on the flight with me is was a pilot. And so um, he basically, he's just like, ooh, and I'm going, uh, like, bawling. Yeah. And just obviously threw up it was it was about two hours of this you couldn't see and they couldn't go they were like oh we can't go any higher because the wings started to ice over because in commercial flights they have heaters on the wings that prevent them from icing over they don't have that in a you know coast guard plane that's designed for rescue missions along the coast and so um yeah it was it was um very traumatizing yeah. um but basically any turbulence i've experienced that sounds like well it's not as bad as that one that sounds <laughs> pretty just bad. that story would it would be enough for me to be like you know what i'll need to fly ever yeah. again no i don't i don't love it yeah so that is the very long story of the worst aviation disaster and also why it's super safe for you thank you don't worry about it thank you to those people <laughs> who stuck well, this one out had to sacrifice themselves for all of us oh i thought you meant the people listening that were like oh no no, we're talking about the people on the pan am (laughs) and like and i'm thank you for the people listening to sticking this through and thank you to um all the people people. that made changes based off of that terrible terrible tragedy yeah yeah well tefa thank you so much for this topic yeah i'm you're so welcome might never i'm definitely never getting in a car again Okay. I'm 50-50 on flying. Um, <laughs> but do you have any... Super safe. It's so safe, as my notes say. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Sure. I would love to um, let you guys know that I also have a podcast. If you guys would like to cross-pollinate, switch it up a little bit, listen to multiple podcasts, you know. Uh, it's called What's the Point? And we talk about um, comedy and entertainment and kind of figuring out how to do those things because it's very confusing Mm -hmm. and there's no real career trajectory. So you just got to figure it out. So we talked to lots of people doing it Mm -hmm. and we have some fun and we play some games. Um, Emily has been on it. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, hopefully she enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. (laughs) Good. You can listen to her there as well. Um, And then last thing too, uh, if you were listening to this and you live in New York uh, or in the Brooklyn Queens area, 
I have a stand-up show coming up next Thursday, August 22nd. At It will be at The Battle Days, which is a bar in Ridgewood. Um, and it is called The Good New Comedy. Great. Good. Good New Comedy at The Battle Days. That's a, Good. Come check it out. That's a week from the day this comes out. That's right. So go. So yeah. Go. You have a one, you have one week to book your plane tickets to get to this show. Uh. I may or may not have airplane jokes. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, a topic de- near and dear to my heart. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's like those <laughs> things that you're afraid of that you're just like, I have to it's like learn volcanoes. everything about this. You're afraid of them? Yeah. All plate tectonic related things, yes. It's terrifying. Well, Tefa, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, Bye-bye. And uh, I've been Matt Armando. I continue to be Emily Riggins. And this has uh, been TBD. With uh, Matt and Emily, maybe. Thank you. Bye. Bye.